The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 104.5 FM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and 107.7 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And even in bunker times, lots of stuff is going on in IT. The world keeps spinning, Doc. It keeps spinning, bunker or no bunker. The Department of Homeland Security is worried that all these masks are going to get in the way of facial recognition. Yeah. Because they use that to track everybody, so they're now you know, worried about that, that masks may be a good way for the bad guys to hide themselves. You know, one, their- of the, one of the other consequences of the masks are? It's What's tough, that? It's tough for liquor stores to card kids. They can't tell how old you are when you go in to buy alcohol, and they can't tell you to take the mask off. Oh, so that's a very good point. Well, this is, this is becoming a problem in Baltimore, but, you know, <laughs> everything's a problem in Baltimore these days. Yeah, so that so they could show you like a driver's license and they can't match up the face right. because you've got a, on a mask. Exactly. This week I'm going to talk about the dumb idea of the week. <laughs> There's a only new, one. Yeah, yeah, well, this is really dumb. There's a political it, party it, called the anti PowerPoint party. So this would be the 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 dumbest idea of the week. Yes, top of that. the heap. And of course, I'm also going to uh, have reflections, ob- observations from the bunker. I've got a. I had a few problems this week, which I want to share with you. <laughs> and profiles in IT. I'm going to feature Rasmuth Lerdorf. He's the uh, programmer who created and was the inspiration behind the PHP scripting language. And that was uh, the language I used for the first website that I developed. It's also the language used on our learning management platform, Moodle. So I. Love PHP. Well, it's been around for 25 years. If you listen to us for a long time, you would know that this is a uh, – you've talked about this guy before. I have talked about him before. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Got an email from June in Burke, Virginia. Dear Doc, I've not set up my Fios router having two SSIDs for the two uh, bands, 2.4 gigahertz gigahertz and 5.8 gigahertz. How do I do that? Thanks for the help, June and Burke. Well, let me explain it. Uh, Wi-Fi uses two unlicensed bands. They're used for a lot of things other than Wi-Fi. And those, you can actually use those bands as long as it's low power. And then there's nothing else in those bands like uh, broadcast stations. And one of the bands is centered at 2.4 gigahertz. The other band is centered at 5.8 gigahertz. And all the Wi-Fi routers have both of those bands there. It turns out the 5.8 gigahertz band gives better throughput. However, it doesn't penetrate. It has more bandwidth. Therefore, you can get faster speeds for video. But it doesn't penetrate walls as well. The 2.4 gigahertz bandwidth um, has uh, less bandwidth, but it 
penetrates walls better, so it's better for a whole house. Why is that? It, it just it's a lower frequency. As you go to higher frequencies, mm-hmm. it just it's it's absorbed by the uh, by the material in the walls. Gotcha. So, so uh, if you don't name and the, you know your Wi-Fi uh, router, you you have what they call an SSID. It's a broad it broadcasts out a name of the network. If you name both bands the same name, <laughs> you won't then know you're which letting, is which. Well, you're letting the router pick it out. Ah. So the router picks whichever band happens to be a stronger signal there. And the problem is you may actually want to be at the 5.8 gigahertz band for, for video bandwidth. And you don't want – what's really bad is if the, if the router just toggles back and forth between two bands because they're almost equal. It just it's, – it's annoying. So what I do, I go into my router and I individually set up each band with a different name. And I pick which band I want. So, June, what you've got to do, you got to log on to your router. She said she had Fios. So the Fios router, that web address is 1.92.168.1.92.1.68.1.1. This will all be in the in the show right. outline that we post later on. And so this will bring you up to the logon screen of your router. So you've got, got to put in the admin password and the... Uh, admin name, admin, and the and the password. And then once you get into the router, you basically you click on wireless settings, and that'll bring up a window. And then you'll click on basic security settings. And the basic security settings list the five, the 2.4 gigahertz band and the 5 gigahertz band separately, and you can put in a, a different SSID. That's the broadcast name. And uh, what I do, I, like if, I just call it a, the name dash 2.4. And I have the same name dash 5.8. That's how, so there, so I can tell exactly what I'm logging on to. And then what you want to do is you want to choose the highest encryption for each band. I use WPA2. That's more secure. Set the password, and then you're good to go. It's it's very easy to set up different uh, different names. The default though that Verizon does, they 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 have both bands the same name, and they let the router pick which one you want to go with and. I like I like the choice of being able to go separately. Mm-hmm. Um, we got an email from John in Kansas City. Dear Doc and Jim, I've started a new blog, and I'm confused by the traffic statistics. They've got hits, page views, and visits. What 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 are those specifically? Good question. Well, <clears throat> it turns out whenever uh, a website receives a hit, every time a single file is accessed on the website. So for instance, if you got a web page which has nothing on it but just the web page HTML code, when you access that web page it will show up as one hit. But now suppose that that web page has five pictures on it. Each picture that's downloaded to the browser is viewed as another hit. So a web page with five pictures will actually show up as six hits, five for the pictures and then one for the web page itself. And some uh, blogs have just got boatloads of links. And so when a blog, uh, somebody on a blog brags about the number of hits they get, it's a little misleading. Now, on the other hand, a page view is sort of obvious. If, it, if you bring up a page, no matter how many hits you get, it only counts as one time. But suppose that a visitor comes to your blog and they go from one page to another page to another page to another page, four pages. That would be for page views. But if you track that visitor as they go through your website, that would be one visit. 
So no matter how many pages a particular user goes to on your website, that would be one visit. But each time they bring up a page, that would be a page view. And every time they download a file, whether it's a picture or anything, that would be a hit. So that's it. And a lot of these blog blog guys that want to brag, they only talk about their hits. Uh-huh. They don't talk about the visits because hits is the biggest is number. Is the biggest number, right? That's right. We got an email from Karen in Newport News. We set up our Wi-Fi router years ago. Now our Windows 10 laptop and phones log on automatically. Unfortunately, we've forgotten the password. And now we need to connect another computer to the network. Do you know an easy way to retrieve the Wi-Fi password from the router? I'd hate to have to go out and buy another new router if I could avoid it. Did did they reset it or are they using the one that came with the router? I missed that part. Uh, yeah, they reset it apparently. Okay, yeah. Because if it came with the router, it would be written on the bottom. Yeah, that was, that's what I was going to say. The the the, yeah. the code that it comes with is on it. It's in it very small on, letters, but it's on It's it. very small letters, yeah. So they, they actually had – made up a new password because they wanted their own special password, and now they don't know what it is. Which is the way to go, well, right? It is the way to go. I've got, I've got all my own passwords. I don't I don't like to go with those. Plus, they're yeah. so complicated. Oh, the I password know. that is on the bottom of the router is so complicated. And, and Any time you, you want to share it, it's a pain in the neck. And but, the, but, you know. What's that? There, there, is, there is one good feature. Uh, if You know, they've got this WPS for doing things, you know, automatic, automatic, uh, um, connection to a Wi-Fi router. So if you, if you've got a, if, like if you're the cell phone support WPS, so you can click the WPS button on your router and then you go in to set the password to just send the password right to it. Uh-huh. So you don't actually have to know what it is, but here's the, th- and I'm, I'm assuming she doesn't have WPS. Mm-hmm. You can actually retrieve the Wi-Fi password, not from your router, because if you, if you, you can receive, you can retrieve it from one of the laptops that's logging into it because the laptop is remembering it. Of course, you just have to know where it's stored. So you, what you want to do, you want to open up your laptop and have it automatically log onto the Wi-Fi network. Then you launch the control panel. And then in the control panel, you just click as you'd expect network and internet. And then you click on check status because you're checking the status of the network and then there's, and you scroll down, there's something called network and sharing center. You click on the network and sharing center and it will list the Wi-Fi network that you're logged on to. Now what you do, you, you write, you, 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 you click, you, 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 you right click on that, on the, on you, on the, on the Wi-Fi network that you're on. And then you'll see something come up, come up that says wireless properties that's another window. Then you click the security tab. And then underneath the security tab, there's a little box you can click and it will show the password. And that's called the it's it's and that password will be there. That's called the network security key. That's what they call the password, network security key. And you click on that little uh, box there, and then you'll see the password. And then just write it down and you've got it. And then you don't have to reset the router. But you, you could have, of course, Karen, reset the router, but you'd have to set up everything again, which exactly. would be a pain in the neck. Yep. Or if you had the original password, you could just read the tag on the bottom, which which would not be a bad idea either. Well, best of luck with that, uh, Karen. We got an email from Peter in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, our business has gone remote and is using Zoom. 
for weekly staff meetings. Recently, some of our meetings have been interrupted by somebody posting <laughs> lewd pictures. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, Peter's not saying exactly what these lewd pictures were. I think he just wants to be very, you know, proper. I, and I making crude remarks. <laughs> this is unnerving. <laughs> how, can we, how can Zoom be reconfigured? To keep out these unwanted and unwanted intrusions, love the show, Peter and Fairfax. We actually use Zoom for all of our staff meetings. We use it for all of our online teaching. Zoom is very easy to use, but I have to say, by the way, when somebody breaks into one of these Zoom meetings, they call this Zoom bombing. We had one. We had a one staff meeting that was Zoom bombed. Uh, well, I've found out about it. Yeah, it was our career services was having their weekly staff meeting to talk about placements and their and their, their meeting was Zoom-bombed. So it, that has been a topic at Stratford. So the majority of the Zoom-bomb attacks are not because of the poor security of Zoom. It's because the users are careless and haven't mm -hmm. taken the proper precautions. This is normally the case. Now, Zoom does have some security issues, but this Zoom-bombing is not caused by a security issue. So it happens that uh, if you set your meeting to public and share the link to the meeting, anybody with that link can get into the meeting. Mm -hmm. Now, some people are crazy enough <laughs> to post the link to Facebook. <laughs> you see? Oh, man. Anybody can click on that link and exactly. boom, they're right in the meeting. Oh, man. Now, moreover... You can do searches. You can search for zoom.us and you'll get a list of of all of the uh, oh, of all of the um, uh, uh, you know teleconferences that that have been that have, where the links have been posted uh -huh. all over the social media site. In fact, Reddit even set up a special subdirectory just for Zoom links. So guys are just having fun with this. So first of all, I mean it, it's pretty simple. Don't share your link publicly. Mm -hmm. That's probably the ob most obvious thing you could do. You don't post the link to a Facebook page. You send it out or don't put it in a promotional tweet. Uh, send it out in a private method like with email. Now, right. you could also set your meetings to private. Now, that would require that everybody have to put in a password. Now, most of the um, Zoom... Uh, moderators don't like all that password stuff because then they, people, they're, you know, all their users right. are having trouble getting getting and into the thing. So, and the meeting goes on forever, and yeah, I know. So it's so it's a problem. Now, there's another thing. Each person, if you have a Zoom account, each person has a Zoom ID, and that's and that and they call that that's your personal Zoom room with that Zoom ID, and that Zoom ID never changes. Ever. So if somebody knows your Zoom ID, they can reconstruct the Zoom link on their own mm -hmm. and they can Zoom bomb you anytime they want. So uh, it's better uh, if you're setting up a meeting uh, to set up a new meeting and have a new Zoom ID assigned to that meeting and it's a one time use ID. Then that way somebody's not going to get your personal Zoom ID and be able to Zoom bomb you whenever they want. So that's probably 
that's probably not a bad idea. So you can see most of the Zoom bombing was just caused by, you know, sloppy operation. But Zoom, Zoom has just exploded. It has 19, it has like, you know, 20 times the number of users today that they had a year ago. Well, it's, it's just gone through the roof. Funny you mention that because while you're talking, I, I was wondering what Zoom is trading at. And they, and they trade on NASDAQ. They closed the day yesterday at 128.20 a share, up uh, six bucks, and that's a 5.14% increase. And just for perspective, their 52 week low was 59.94, and their high 164.94. So uh, they're doing pretty good. They're 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 doing extremely well. They they set up a, a system that was really easy to use. Mm -hmm. The other, we used to use Adobe Connect for all of our video conferencing, and Zoom undercut them by a lot. It was a lot cheaper to switch to Zoom. So they. They undercut it. Um, I'll talk a little bit later. They do have some security issues. So they've stopped developing new features now with Zoom yeah. and ju just to deal with all the security issues. But I, I think it's a, it's a good product, but they grew a little too fast and didn't put a enough emphasis on privacy and um, insecurity. But we're, we're, we use it for all of our online classes, and the students love it because it's, it's so convenient to use. Excellent. Oh, and the other – oh, the last – piece of advice here uh -huh. because a lot of this zoom bombing they post pictures so what you should do is you can put that screen sharing is host only ah. so they can't put these lewd these pictures lewd up pictures, right yeah which you can imagine what that they would, would be man yeah not good i mean that would be Especially you're having this like really a bible study group or something like that uh, but uh, listen and, and you know and th those are probably the exact groups that, that, that they want to target <laughs> that's probably because because the whole thing is just to irritate these exactly. people exactly right it's irritate them and and they it, it's well they 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 focus on two things sexual comments and racial slurs mm -hmm. those are those are the those are the go-to insult areas and um, so people have been talking about this. Now, even the FBI is saying that they may start uh, making this a crime to Zoom bomb because it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, like it's like terrorism yeah. or something. And so that, so they're thinking of charging people that do Zoom bombing. But I've not heard anybody yet who's been charged for Zoom bombing. There's a lot going on right now. That's right. We got an email from Alice in Alexandria. Dear Tech Talk, I recently bought a Windows laptop after my MacBook died. My, back, my MacBook used to start up with the same programs and websites that I had uh, when, when I shut it down. And when I restart it, everything is there just like it was. It's, I, just, I love that feature. Is there any way that Windows can do that? Because when, when I log into Windows, it just comes up with a new screen and everything I had is gone. Well... Alice Windows does have a special shutdown mode that saves a copy of everything that's in the system. It saves it, it, it saves everything that's in the system's RAM. It saves it to a special file on the hard drive, and then when you rest, and then it shuts down completely, turns off, and then when you restart the computer, it goes to that special file, loads all that information into RAM. And you have the, exactly the same programs and exactly the same web pages in your browser. It's in the exact state you left it when you shut it down. Now, that mode is called hibernation. And if you select hibernation on shutdown, you'll be able to pick up right where you left off. Now, the nice thing is the computer's actually off. It's not like the sleep mode where it, where it goes into 
you know, a low level of operation, but it's still consuming power. It actually is shut down. It just that it saved all the configuration, all the information on the hard drive in the sleep mode. The RAM is still active. And so all of that data is stored in RAM, but your computer's still on. So your screen is off, but your computer's still on. So still using power. Whereas if you go into hibernation mode, it's actually turned off. And it's instead of storing the data in active RAM, it's storing it on a, on a file on the hard drive. Now, the problem is that um, the default mode for Windows 10 is to not show the hibernation option. So you're going to have to go to setup and you go to power on options and click on the hibernation button so that you'll have the hibernate when you, uh, when you use it. I use hibernate. It's really convenient. Listen, we love your emails. Can I emails. Have a question? Yes. Can I have a mm-hmm. sidebar for a second? Sure. You, this brings to mind a question. I have a friend, Alice, who is a music teacher, and she got a new, um, she, she got a new Mac. She got a, a, a Mac Air. And she's trying to download her, her new contact list because she teaches music by Skype now. And it's downloading the old list. She'd rather do her Google uh, list. Is there a way to is there a way to change that? Because you can only download one list of contacts, right? With a Mac. I don't know. I, it seems like you could do more than one huh. list of contacts. Wow. So she's doing, but she's downloaded. So she has the Google list, and then she has a Skype list. She has These a are list separate. that's like a .me list or something like that, and it and it's going to the .me list, which is an old list, and she'd like to get rid of that and go to the Google list, which is what she really needs to use. And it won't let her do it. So she's got the. Uh, so what did she? She, re, she got a new computer and then she restored it. Uh, or where's she getting the .me list? So she, oh, she's getting it from the cloud, I guess. From the cloud, exactly. Well, it should be possible. Let me All let right, me well, uh, let me do let me do a re- little bit of research on it, Jim. That. Sorry, and sorry I'll, to I'll do handle a... it. I'll handle it in the mailbag next week. That sounds great. Thank you, sir. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. You're about to say. Did yep, you like I our email? That's, oh, yeah, we love it. We love your emails. Emails <laughs> at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. This is Tech Talk Radio. In Washington, listen to us on 1500 AM and 1035 FM HD2. In the northwest suburbs, tune in on 1039 FM HD2. South and west of Washington, you can hear us on 1077 FM HD2. And in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Rasmuth Lairdorf. Rasmuth Lairdorf is a Danish-Canadian programmer, best known as co-author and the inspiration behind the PHP programming language. Lairdorf was born November 22, 1968 on Disco Island. Sorry, the people from Disco Island took over for a second. You know that I think that must have been the music in the delivery room there in Disco Island. <laughs> Disco Island is in Greenland, right? It's in Greenland. Yeah, it's right on the west coast of Greenland. Very small island. Then after uh, after he was born, his family moved to Denmark, and then in uh, 1980 they moved back to Canada from Denmark, and he's now actually living in in Greenland. He loves Greenland. Huh. His first home computer was a Timex Sinclair 1000. <laughs> I never even heard of that. <laughs> he used neither have I. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it wasn't a big seller, I don't I, think. I need to look that up. The research may, desk is on it. Yes, his first home computer was the Timex Sinclair. Ah, yeah, that's a, what I was doing. I was looking up the Timex Sinclair. I got to see this thing. And he had a dial-up modem, and he used Gopher, the Gopher protocol, to research research papers. This was a, this was actually a way to search for different files on the internet, and they called it Gopher because you were going to go for the file. <laughs> <laughs> he graduated from King City Secondary School in 1988, and uh, in 1993 he graduated from the University of Waterloo. Which is Waterloo is the um, you know the big uh, the big IT hub there in Canada. He had a BS in systems design engineering. Now in '94 is when the first Mosaic web browser came out. That was Tim Berners Lee you know brought that out, and this Mosaic web browser changed everything because everything was so much more accessible. And he became highly motivated to work on things that would impact the web because he thought that's where the future was. This, you, I mean, I used the Gopher tool and the FTP and all the, the tools prior to the, the browser. And they were, you know, difficult to use and slow, not very transparent. And obviously they weren't really for the general public. They were more for, you know, computer geeks at universities. Um, the first thing he did... He contributed to the Apache uh, server. That's a, that, that was an open source web server. He started contributing to the open source code. Then he started working on MySQL, which was an open source SQL database, because he's a big devotee of open source. He loves open source. And he put in uh, his claim to fame with MySQL. He put in the limit clause 
you know, sometimes if you put in a, a request and you say, uh, and, and your request is, um, is poorly formed, you might get this monstrosity of an output that you really don't want. You just got it by mistake. And so rather than clog the machine up waiting for that, he just put in a limit. So if, if, the, re if the result of your query is, is longer than a limit, it just cuts it off. And that was actually a feature that has that is sort of stuck with MySQL clear to this day. Um, he created the, in 1994, he wanted to make a personal homepage. And so he created a scripting language that would operate his own personal homepage. And so he called it PHP. Now, why did he call it PHP, the scripting language? Because that stands for personal homepage. <laughs> that stands to reason. <laughs> stands to reason. So he set up a, a common gateway interface uh, where he could actually, um, you know, he could access uh, different um, different uh, databases and things. He set up a CGI interface and he wrote it in the programming language C. And so he was basically trying to create a personal homepage that was easy to maintain. And so, so we had the, so he just set up a structure that made it easy for him to maintain with this, uh, with this uh, programming language. Now he started adding tools as he wanted to add more sophisticated, more sophistication to his homepage. And eventually he got a set of PHP tools. Now over time, Rasmus kept rewriting the tools, making them better and better and better to create a larger and richer implementation. Now, he then eventually added database interaction. He also provided a framework, a framework where users could develop simple dynamic web pages. And I got to tell you, it was very intuitive. When I want when I was way way in the day when I created the first web page at Strat University, I used PHP and I'm it's a very intuitive language. I just got a book, studied it and just started working on it and Wrote a pretty, pretty nice web page that used that that uh, drew its data from a database, MySQL database, and it was really intuitive and easy to use. So I think he did achieve the results that, you know, it brought back it brought web programming to the masses. You don't have to be able, you don't have to be a C programmer or a Perl programmer in order to program a web page. Now, in June of 1995, he released the source code for PHP tools to the public. And that allowed developers to start improving it as they would see fit. It also permitted users to fix bugs in the code and to make it better. In September of 1995, he expanded upon HPA, uh, PHP, and he added Perl-like variables. He uh, added uh, HTML embedded syntax. He was trying to make it easier for programmers to use. In October of 1995, he, he completely rewrote the code, and he called it the Personal Homepage Construction Kit. And this kit, this language, scripting language, was deliberately designed to resemble C in structure, so it, they, you could, it would be easy to adopt for programmers or developers that were familiar with C or Perl. In April of 1996, he included support for databases, for MySQL, for Postgres 95 databases, for cookies, as well as user-defined support. And it started taking off, this open source code. In 1997 and 1998, PHP had a cult of several thousand users around the world, and there were over 60,000 domains reporting to reported 
that reported that they were using PHP. So it was becoming widely adopted globally. Uh, and that was his passion to develop this open source code. And it was just always a hobby for him. Um, now, he did have to actually work for a living because he made no money on PHP. This was just a passion. I watched a, um, an hour presentation that he gave up on the 25th anniversary of PHP, which was celebrated uh, not too long ago. And um, it was celebrated this year, the 25th anniversary. And he went through the whole sequence of how he added structure to PHP. And he said he always felt there'd be something better. He said he developed it because there weren't easy tools to use. And he says, you know, somebody's going to come up with something better than PHP in six months. So we always thought it was six months away from not being used. But he, so he would always do these fixes and these tweaks. But he never really thought of it as a sort of a long-term uh, scripting project. But but it was. And uh, and it was interesting to see how he made his decisions as he got the structure. The research department went on the web and we found the Timex Sinclair personal computer. You can find it on Etsy. You can find it on something called Poshmark, which is, again, a shopping website. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and now southwest of Washington on 107.7 FM HD 2. In Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Well, there you are. Yes, They're sitting I'm back down here early finally. because we're running out of time. Go ahead and ask the okay. question. This is uh, not simply a radio show. It's Classroom no. of the Airways, and right. we have to do an evaluation whether you're listening. Right. Earlier in the show... I was talking about Rasmus Lerdorf. He, of course, is the creator of PHP. Where did the name PHP come from? 
All right. If you know the answer to today's question. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Shut up, pal. <laughs> Pick up your phone. Give us a call. If you're dialing from west to the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of a pile of empty oyster shells in Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. Planning a trip to Disco Island from Canada? Call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. Pretty sure Hal used some Lysol wipes on it earlier. 877-9-3639-333. Now, once again... Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Dr. Richard Schertz. You still there after all that? I'm still here. Okay. Yes, right. indeed. So let's uh, continue on with something while the phones melt down, and we'll find okay. a winner Okay, I can tell you, uh, cell phone videos have changed the world. Uh-huh. In 2008, Steve Jobs had an... Ass- so I had an assignment for a small team of engineers at Cupertino to make the iPhone record video because he noticed when the first iPhones came out, people were taking lots and lots of pictures. So he wanted to add movies. So Apple released the first iPhone that could record movies as the iPhone 3GS could record video. Now, 10 years later and 10 iPhone models later, a 17-year-old Dornella Frazier found herself standing on a sidewalk in Minneapolis, turning on her iPhone 11, and she launched a video as fast as possible. She uploaded the video of George Floyd's murder, and the rest is history. These videos that all came from this original initiative of Steve Jobs have been good for humanity, and they have accelerated change. I think everybody having a video camera is really a good thing. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and now southwest of Washington on 107.7 FM HD2. In Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, 
and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Observations from the bunker. You got to do something about that door. I know. This has been a rough, rough week in the bumper. I had a small <laughs> tragedy this week. Uh-oh. Last week, I was out doing some weeding in the backyard, cutting down some vines that were growing up a tree. I returned to the house to rest. I didn't wash my hands. Now, uh-huh. I only wash my hands when I come back from Walmart. For, you know, I go back shopping. I got, you know, I put on the mask. I wash my hands. I get gas. I wash my hands because I'm going to flatten the curve, according to Dr. Fauci. Yes. So you flatten your face instead. Yeah. So what happened was the next day I woke up, my eyes were swollen shut with poison oak blisters. I'd been wiping my hands on my face. (laughs) Now here's the tragedy. Were were you not wearing gloves during this? No, I wasn't. I was just out there. Oh my. Just be with nature. Now here's the tragedy. It's it it's really it's bad news if your mother doesn't recognize you. It's a tragedy if your iPhone does not recognize you. I wow. couldn't open up my iPhone with face recognition. Wow, that's bad. So, so I had a critical decision to make this week. I said, should I reprogram my phone to see my you know modified face? And I decided just <laughs> to leave it alone. And just put in my passcode every time I would do it. Because I have to do that when I'm wearing a face mask anyway. So that was it. So now I have additional advice for Dr. Fauci and the coronavirus team. <laughs> they need to give us more guidelines for social for you know social distancing. For instance, we need the social distance from poison oak and poison ivy. Yeah. Dr. Mm-hmm. Fauci didn't talk about that. No, he did not. Okay, if you're swimming, you need to social distance from sharks. He didn't talk about that, right? <laughs> if you're walking in a jungle, you need to social distance from tigers and lions. Well, and if you're walking down a city street, you need to social distance from falling anvils and pianos. Yes, that's very yes. true. If you're walking out in the desert, you have to social distance from rattlesnakes. There are so many social distance rules that Dr. Fauci and his team left out. Well, I'm glad you're Had here I- to help us out. Had he had he said social distance from poison oak and poison ivy, I would not have this trouble. But, you know, yeah, I was only washing my hands when I go to Walmart and get gas. So that was my <laughs> tragedy of the week. But, and it really, really did tax me. But now I'm just now recovering now this morning for the first time. My iPhone recognizes me. So this, it's uh, the silent getting threat, back to normal. The silent threat lurks in many forms, Doc. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Now, the dumb idea of the week. The is that anti- putting your fingers in your eyes? Is that the dumb idea? Yeah, well, of the- that, that, was the dumb, that was the dumbest idea of the week. Okay, the second dumbest idea of the week is the anti-PowerPoint party. <laughs> now, this party, they... But actually, I've grown to hate PowerPoint presentations, to tell you the truth. They, they stand between the presenter and the audience. And uh, But a guy... Um, a guy in Switzerland by the name of Martias Poem, he's got really strong opinions. And he's a former software engineer. He founded the anti-PowerPoint political party in the Swiss political system. And their, their uh, motto is, get rid of all PowerPoint. It was formed with the sole purpose of raising awareness about the inefficiencies of PowerPoint and slideshow presentations. And he's gotten a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of interest in this thing. 
that they didn't exactly take over the Swiss government, but they managed to get enough votes to become the eighth largest political party in Switzerland, <laughs> measured Crazy. by the votes cast in 2015. It's just a little indicator of how much people hate sitting through PowerPoint presentations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Department of Homeland Security fears that face masks will hinder facial recognition. Mm -hmm. Oh, these, yeah, these guys are, you know, DHS, they're brilliant. Do you feel like every time you go to the grocery store now, you're going to go rob a liquor store because you put your face mask on before you walk in? I'd, yeah. I mean, the funniest thing is going to the bank with a with oh, face mask. Oh, I know, mask. right? You know, you're walking in with a mask on. And, you know, they've got all those cameras to recognize your face, but, you know, they, they can't recognize you with a face mask. So Department of Homeland Security has raised concern internally that face masks meant to protect us from COVID-19 may interfere with facial recognition technology. They are worried that the use of face masks will be used to invade law, law enforcement even after the COVID-19 pandemic is over. The agency suggests in a memo that protesters would use masks to avoid detection. It has no specific information that violent extremists or other criminals are using protective gear, but they think it's a real threat. Now, the latest guidance from CDC says that we need to wear face masks in public. And these face masks prevent you from having your face recognized. They also prevent you from having face recognition to log into your smartphone, which is really, really a, uh, an annoyance. Mm -hmm. So the American Civil Liberty Union in Michigan filed an administrative complaint against Detroit Police Department over the wrongful arrest of a man based on misidentification of facial recognition software. Other people, other uh, privacy groups are suing the government for not using facial recognition because if we got facial recognition available everywhere, Steve uh, uh, Orwell's uh, prediction of Big Brother will come true. Everybody will be tracked. A bill introduced by the Democrats in the House last month would prohibit the use of facial recognition until there's a law that explicitly permits it. Right now, it's not covered by any legislation. It's the Wild West. And I do think from the point of view of privacy, we need to really cover it so that we can, um, we need to cover that so that people know what their rights are, when it can be used, when it cannot be used, when it's admissible to court. Interesting. Now it's time for, for food science. science. Mm. And frozen a turkey. Yes. Remember last year we talked about the problem that uh, that the white meat, you want it, it, you don't want to cook it as long as... It gets dry. It gets dry. And, and the get, dark meat take, takes longer And to the cook. dark meat this takes longer over there. Well, uh... Dr. Peter Snyder, Ph.D. from the Hospitality Institute of Technology and Management wow. in St. Paul, Minnesota, has a solution to this. Put the turkey in frozen. Hmm. See, now this is, now this is really a, just an interesting idea. The FDT food code allows us. In fact, a FDA has a cooking guideline out on this. Now, there are, there's a real uh, advantage to cooking the turkey frozen. First of all, you don't have to thaw it out. Well, there's that. You get up, you get up, uh, you get up Thanksgiving morning and say, oh, the turkey, I forgot to thaw out the turkey, and there's, there's not time to do it. So, uh, H, uh, the uh, FDA food code actually has guidelines for cooking a frozen turkey, 12 to 13 pounds. Now, the reason they say this is actually a pretty good thing to do is when you put it in frozen, the legs thaw out first and start cooking right away. But the breast, since it's on the interior, thaws out last, 
So it naturally cooks less time. Interesting. And so the breast meat can be juicy and the legs can be done. Good. So you're using basically physics to your advantage. Now, what I did... I got out the thermal diffusion. I've got the uh, science of cooking. I've, uh -huh. been, I, I've been putting in the, the shape of a turkey, and I've been doing these uh, thermal diffusion equation ca calculations all week. Uh -huh. And uh, and it's been it's been quite uh, quite quite the effort. And, and and my results have agreed approximately with FDA results. So well, that's what they good. say is they put the turkey on a shallow pan, and for the first two to two and a half hours, the legs and thighs get heated up to approximately 100 degrees Fahrenheit. But the breast to about uh, one inch is still at the uh, soft ice point of around 25 degrees Fahrenheit. At this point, you can actually stick a monitor in, a temperature monitor into the into the turkey. At about three and a half hours, the legs and thighs will be between 150 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit, and the breast will be 40 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. At that point, you can actually remove the bag of heart, all the the bag of stuff that's in the middle, the heart, the liver, and, and the neck oh, can, can be you removed. you better not forget that. I know somebody who has... At four and a half to five hours, the turkey's nicely cooked. You can check the temperature. The legs and thighs should be at around 175 to 185, and the breast will be a moist 160 to 170. Cooking turkeys to these temperatures is adequate to assure the reduction of bacteria on the surface skin, like salmonella. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason FDA said this is pretty good is that when you thaw a turkey out in the in the refrigerator, that salmonella could cross-contaminate either in your refrigerator or on the cooking surface. Right. So, so you don't have this problem. You don't have to thaw it out. And the uh, and the second reason they said it's good is that it allows you to cook the dark meat uh, a little bit longer than the light meat. So... And I'm thinking, that just suits me perfectly. I don't have to thaw the turkey. I, but, you, but you have to take the plastic bag yeah, off the turkey. That's a good you idea. You just can't throw the turkey no. in the oven. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and now southwest of Washington on 107.7 FM HD2. In Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. This is Tech Talk Radio. Generating power from the night sky. Sounds interesting. Now, we already know that you can put out solar cells, and they'll, you'll generate power when the sun is shining. 
But what happens when it's absolutely dark out there? There's no moon, nothing, pitch black. How can you generate sky? Well, some research generate power from the, from the night sky. Some researchers have figured out a way to do that. They use it by harnessing the temperature difference between outer space and the Earth. So what they do, and then they use a, the thermoelectric effect, which actually generates power from that temperature difference. And they have created an actual prototype that has the ability to light a single light bulb from just the night sky power. Now, the core of this new idea is the, uses the thermoelectric generators, I said, which produces electricity when one side of the generator is cooler than the other. Now, the sky-facing side of the generator is attached to an aluminum plate, and it faces the sky, and it's basically cooled by the night sky. Now, the other side of the generator faces the ground, and it is basically heated by the, the earth and the, and the atmosphere. The, uh, around the the, um, the the lower plate, and you get about a two degree temperature differential between the two plates, and that is enough to generate a little bit of power. So these guys, they actually made a they actually made a 20 centimeter prototype, 20 centimeter on 20 centimeter by 20 centimeter, one face one side facing up, one side facing down, and it generated 25 milliwatts of power. It was enough to light up an LED diode. Now they estimate. That they could get, uh, that if they could make something which were a, which was about four or five times larger than that, they would be able to light up a a light bulb and you know keep keep, keep the lights going in a house. So this is extremely useful in developing countries where you, where you don't have batteries to store energy when the when the solar cells aren't working. You can, you can create a little bit of power at night from the night sky. I thought that was just a clever idea. That's pretty nice. When are you switching over to the solar power at the Schertz compound? It's going to be a while because <laughs> I, honestly, I need more than one light bulb. See, it's a lot. Need... It, it's a lot less efficient than than solar cells, of course, because they get. Uh, they estimate that they get about half a watt per square meter, which uh-huh. is a lot less. Power density you get with solar cells, half a watt per square meter is what they can get out of this device. Yeah. App of the week. It's okay. Apple VoiceOver. This is actually a pretty powerful app. And here's an example of somebody who used it. In 1993, Scott Leeson was U.S. Army veteran who had seven years of service as a visual communications expert. Unfortunately, he also, that year that he got out, he lost his vision in both eyes when he was shot during a robbery attempt. Mm. Twenty-five years later... Leeson has his iPhone XR and the iOS voiceover feature to help him with his everyday life, and that includes regular surfing sessions in the San Diego area. VoiceOver is a gesture-based screen reader that lets you enjoy the iPhone even if you can't see the screen. With VoiceOver enabled, just triple-click the home button to access it whenever in iOS. You'll hear a description of everything that's happening on your screen from battery level to who's calling to which app is on your finger. You can adjust the speaking speaking rate and pitch to suit you. Because VoiceOver is integrated with iOS, it works with all the built-in iPhone apps. You can create custom labels for buttons, including third-party apps. And Apple works with the iOS developer community to make even more apps compatible with VoiceOver. With the help of his new iPhone XR, Leeson is able to get ready for a day of surfing by checking the latest surfing reports. He also uses the Apple Watch 4 to monitor his progress of his surfing workouts. This app has made him independent. 
And the, the, the thing that is amazing, when now he doesn't use the app when he's actually surfing. He uses it just in his regu- regular everyday life. But he has learned when he's surfing to listen to the waves. And he says while he's surfing, he almost forgets that he's blind. Huh. And he said it's just super relaxing. That is a fantastic app. We had a, we had a scare this last week. The world's longest running webcam almost oh went offline. God, it was like me. critical. It almost went offline. Fog cam. Fog cam. Fog okay, cam. So what's the point of having a fog cam? Fog cam is fog cam is uh, on. You can't see uh, anything. That's right. So the you you use fog cam to monitor the fog in San Francisco. Oh. Now fog cam, the world's longest running webcam. Uh, was supposed to be shut down by the creators, Jeff Schwartz and Dan Wong. They announced that on Twitter last week. And there was a huge eruption of support for FogCam. FogCam's been in near-continuous operation for the past 25 years. And it only went off temporarily offline for a few times when San Francisco State University had to move it to a new location. Now, originally, these guys came up with the idea for a live stream while they were taking a computer science class and learning the process of scripting. Now, Schwartz at that time ran another webcam from his apartment that streamed his cats, <laughs> Petunia and Webb. Oh, my. A cat guy. Yeah, because That's a little frightening. he wanted to keep an eye on them while he was attending class. You know, he didn't trust what they would be up to. So well, they're they, cats. You never trust you what they're up to. You never know. I don't know. they got Petunia and Webb. Now, uh, Schwartz and Wong, they, they put, put together this web project, this little pet project, to, uh, you know, monitor fog on the campus. And this project, it became very popular. And they, they decided, they, they decided that they were going to take down FogCam because they thought after 25 years they'd been maintaining that long enough. So they put on their website that they're going to take it down. And I bet they were deluged. Because, and they said because they don't have support from the university. They kept trying to get a new location for the university. The university was not very cooperative and they said, well, yeah. they said the heck with it. We're not, we're just what's not going to do it. Yeah, what's the point? Well, what happened was there was such an outroar. So I, so I, I was originally going to give this article that, you know, it was being shut down. Well, I decided to go to the Fog, FogCam website. By the way, it's FogCam.org. If you want to go to FogCam.org. So I decided to go to the FogCam website just to check in this morning. And guess what? They it's scrap- not there. That's Wait a minute, it is. FogCam.org. Uh, yeah. And so, I, and, and right at the top, it said the, this is what they said, that the San Francisco State University has confirmed that it has agreed to continue maintaining fog cam. And this is what they said. San Francisco State University has supported the operation of fog cam since its inception in 1994. Now, that's a little bit of an overstatement because they didn't get that much support, but at least they let them run it. Uh, and that's a major milestone, the longest running, you know, streaming camera on yeah. the Internet. And they said the university looks forward to continuing the webcam's legacy. Guess what you don't see when you look in the webcam this morning? What? Fog. There's no fog yeah, out there? there's low clouds, but there's pretty decent visibility. So, so. I knew our tech talk audience would want to know that fog, fog cam was and alive sure. and well. Both of them have now jammed fog cam. That's it for this week. See you next week for more Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. 
Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.